23 of Amari Purple Talk, the show where we talk about Prince, Prince-related artists, music, books, movies, videos, and everything within the purple musical singularity. I'm Richard Cole, your host for the show. Uh, there will be no guest host this week or for the next episode, but after that, and hopefully for the remainder of the year, we will have some very exciting guest and returning guest for the show. But today I am flying solo and we're going to get started with Twitter questions. But however, first, before we dive into that, um, I do want to address uh, the recent program that was on the Tubi channel. Uh, that was the TMZ Presents Prince Fatal Secrets uh, that debuted on the 23rd of this month, or actually, uh, we're now in October, so actually the 23rd of September. This will be a spoiler review, uh, so if you have not had a chance to check out that special, um, go ahead and hit the pause button on this episode, go check it out. Uh, Tubi is a free app. So you can download and it has some other interesting programming on it as well. Uh, but if you haven't seen the special, check it out uh, because this will contain spoilers. Um, this may not be a very popular program to watch amongst the Purple Musical Singularity because uh, it does really focus on the circumstances leading to Prince's death. And I get it while there are individuals that are still mourning, um, if this is heavy subject matter, um, like I said, feel free not to tune into this episode, um, wait for the next one or skip ahead to the Twitter questions that will be coming up later. Um, I say I went into this special uh, with a lot of apprehension. Uh, I still do have some questions about it, but... I'll put it this way. This show, as far as Amari Purple Talk, uh, tries to stay focused on the music. Um, very few times have I gone into the area of gossip and rumors. Um, don't focus a lot on the death of Prince and conspiracy theories and things like that. You know, just try to keep a balanced perspective on the individual the talent, um, sometimes maybe his worldview, or I'll put it this way, my interpretation of his worldview. And like I said, try not to get into areas that have nothing to do with the music or the art. Uh, however, a program like this um, kind of dwells into that area. Actually, much to my surprise, it's been a good half of the program really stressing his career, his work ethic, um, that he always maintained a clean lifestyle. Um, so it wasn't quite the sensationalist piece that I thought it would be. Um, but again, I still have some questions 
about it. Um, like I said, I won't spend the whole episode on this, um, but if you have questions, comments, or would like to dive deeper, we'll do another episode about it. Um, but again, this was done by TMZ. Uh, this is a special series that they have on the Tubi channel. Uh, was narrated by Harvey Levin. Um, it did interview uh, individuals such as Susan Rogers, Toure, uh, there's Mark Mintz, um, I believe he's with the Carver County uh, District Attorney's Office. Uh, there was also Shaka Khan. So not a lot in the way of the maybe usual. I mean, of course, Susan Rogers, obviously, is probably the main one. Uh, Toure does pop up on programs from time to time, but no members of the revolution, NPG, Sheila E., Jill Jones, um, individuals that we would normally see in the documentary uh, surrounding Prince. And again, for obvious reasons, because uh, it is TMZ. And like I said, it does focus on the circumstances leading to his passing. Uh, but like I said, again, it wasn't an overall sensationalist piece. Uh, again, they spent a good half of the program talking about his career, his work ethic, um, which was cool because it was able to give some perspective and tried to you know, tried its best to provide some balance. Um, you know, a lot of footage that TMZ required. Uh, there was also some archival footage from stuff that we might have seen before, whether it's in officially released DVDs of live performances, maybe some bootleg material here and there. Um, I don't know to what extent that the estate um, in obviously Comerica granting permission during production of this, I don't know what permission was given as far as the footage, any music that was utilized. Um, but, you know, there were these items to really, again, illustrate his work ethic, illustrate that how much he gave of himself and the level of energy attached to his performances. Um, you know, it, it covers some controversial subjects, like because of that work ethic, uh, the splits, wearing of the heels, uh, the bathtub incident during the Purple Rain tour, which he was injured, which some believe may have been the beginning of a reliance on prescription medication. Um, and the sort of grinding down of his body through age. And if you're a performer of that level of intensity, you know, it's like being a professional athlete. You know, you have that prime in your life, you know, where you're the at the top of your form physically, but age and gravity can catch up to you. You know, no matter how well you take care of yourself, um, we do age. And sometimes we may have to compensate for our limitations and turn those limitations into strengths the best way that we can. Um, but, I mean, again, it, you know, it focused on all the bullet points of his life and career, uh, connecting the dots to that pain. 
Uh, again, you know, we're talking about an extremely talented individual who was extremely private and didn't let a lot of people get 100% close to him. You know, and no matter how much of us we dissect the records, pull apart the lyrics, the meaning behind each song, we, you know, read in between the lines of the interviews, you know, a lot of us, even if we've had been granted access to him, still wouldn't know the 100% picture. And again, no matter how intuitive some of us may be, into the human nature or the emotions or thoughts of others. Sometimes what a person chooses to reveal is what they choose to reveal. Uh, but I would say at the end of it, it's a cautionary tale of this current state of opioid addiction um, and how it's an equal opportunity problem an equal opportunity disease you know and you know we're not talking about something like cocaine or crack or you know um, opioids are a key component to things like heroin and stuff like that but you know addictions are many you know that's a quote that Prince has used uh, during the 80s, you know, addictions are many. And I would say, if anything, you know, my takeaway of it, you know, just separating the special itself, if there is a message, then, you know, this is this is a problem. Not only that, but any type of drug or alcohol or anything like that, you know, you know, Try to help those if you can, or, you know, if you yourself are struggling, you know, try to get some help, you know, that's the thing, you know, that's the, that's the gist of it, if there's a positive spin to that. So with that being said, uh, was this special necessary? Um, if it's a cautionary tale, then yes then it was necessary to do this piece. Now, TMZ isn't necessarily comprised of, I would say, investigative journalists. You know, because I remember as a kid, you know, I was, uh, I was about 11 when Elvis died. And I kind of remember, like, within maybe those, you know, two years afterwards, uh, Geraldo Rivera, you know, back remember when he was a journalist, folks, <laughs> and a pretty good one back in the day, you know, not to say that he isn't now, but there's some circumstances, some key bullet points in his career that, you know, sort of <laughs> kind of put a little tarnish on that investigative journalist side of things. Um, but I remember, you know, episodes of the news program 2020 where, you know, he started diving deep into that doctor that was prescribing Elvis all those pills. And that was something that was a key component to leading to an investigation. You know, nowadays, it's like, oh, if there's a if there's a Netflix documentary, you know, prepare for some cases to be reopened. 
with that. So again, you know, TMZ not necessarily being known for investigative journalism per se, you know, but just a I don't know. I don't know what the qualifications are. I think some of those individuals on there are actual lawyers or work in the legal profession, so they have access to those type of records. Um, but again, it's not necessarily a program that's like a 60 Minutes or 2020 to where it goes into that. Now, could this be a catalyst to maybe go back in and ask some questions? Who knows? Um, but again, if it was something to be as a cautionary tale, yes, it was necessary for this program. If it was something that would ask questions for, you know, that would open up the doors to ask some questions to kind of bring some actual closure, despite the fact that there have been some doors that are closed that would prevent that from being a reality. But again, you know, who knows, you know, um, I know I don't necessarily want to be the guy like um, Kevin Costner's character in the movie JFK uh, that was based on a real, um, I think he was a lawyer or something, a district attorney in New Orleans um, that took a deeper dive into Kennedy's assassination and kind of was the catalyst for the Warren Commission and all of that. I don't know, you know, does it open those type of doors for somebody to do that? That's a possibility. Um, but other than that, I don't think it was really necessary. I mean, in or maybe to get ahead of the Netflix documentary, which again, it's going to be two different things. You know, this special versus the Netflix documentary, it's going to be its own thing. But to have something out there that goes over the bullet points of his life, the highlights, and, you know, his eventual demise, then, no, I don't think it was necessary. It wasn't something I was looking for. Um, I mean, I checked it out because there it was. Uh, there have been comments from people that have been asked to be part of it that declined, and for very good reason, and I get it. You know, um, just kind of watching it. I don't know. I don't think it was overall necessary. But at the end of the day, if it asks some questions that can, A, lead to eventually putting an end to the opioid crisis. Uh, if it's something that, like I said, maybe if a few more questions need to be asked or somebody else takes up the mantle of investigation to maybe find out a little bit more who knows but uh in this area um if you've seen the program you know leave a comment let me know what you think um but that's it that's my thoughts on some quick thoughts on that program and i'm anxious for the netflix documentary hands down that's probably the most anticipated thing because while we haven't had any official word on the production, uh, we don't have an official release date, there's no trailer yet, um, but kind of the, the word that's going around is that this will be a balanced celebration of his life. I mean, you can't 
really ignore the events of 2016. But like I said, I'm looking forward to the Netflix documentary because I think even if it, you know, even when it has to go into that area, I kind of feel that it will kind of either again, maybe open that door for some questions or maybe find, you know, bring some closure. But I think it's going to be a celebration. And I think that is going to be my most anticipated Prince release, you know, for now, you know, until they announce another box set. But even if they do, Super Deluxe Edition, Compilation, you know, whatever they do, Netflix is going to be at the top of my list for most anticipated for now. But again, uh, on the TMZ thing, just let me know your comments. If you've seen it, did you like it? Did you not like it? Um, what could have been better about it? Uh, did you see enough? Was there, did you want more to be included? Leave your comment and let me know your thoughts. And now we are going to go into Twitter questions. And this is something that I want to be a uh, continuous part of Omari Purple Talk going forward. So everyone out there that's listening, you can participate. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is in the show notes. Uh, it's at Richard Cole now, and that's capital R-I-C-H-A-R-D. Well, let's see. Um, let me do that again. <laughs> so capital R, and then lowercase I-C-H-A-R-D, capital C, lowercase C-O-L-E, underscore, and in all caps, N-O-W. So at Richard Cole now on Twitter, check the show notes and it could be Prince question, Prince related question, questions about Amari Purple Talk, topic suggestions, you name it. And I'll pick out about four or five. Um, one will be an actual question of the week. I uh, won't do it for this format this time, the question of the week. Um, but yeah, by all means, you know, have some questions, you know, it could be. Anything Prince related, Prince topics, you name it. So let's go ahead and dive right on in. And our first one, or actually, this is going to be kind of a three-part question, uh, but this is from Vault Curator, and he is a friend to the show, as well as, uh, uh, how can I put it, unofficial, official uh content consultant for lack of a better title uh, but let's go and dive into part one of his question and the first one will be not really a question rich but something i was thinking about that maybe you could share your thoughts on i was thinking given that not every album prince recorded was why has wide commercial appeal will there come a point where the estate will abandon the super deluxe model in exchange for something that would appeal to the hardcore fans, such as an NPG, uh, NPG music club style setup. If so, at which point should the estate abandon the super deluxe model? How many albums in which ones should make the cut? All right. So thanks for sending that one in Vault Curator. And I don't think that, 
they will abandon the super deluxe format um i think super deluxe edition is now some fancy way of saying box set or it's a way to distinguish the style of a box set versus what a super deluxe edition is um super or actually deluxe editions uh, kind of started around, I want to say maybe late 90s uh, into the early part of the 2000s. Um, I guess, you know, prime examples like, say, um, what I have, I have um, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, Let's Get It On. Uh, those were deluxe editions where you had the original CD or the original album that was remastered. And then there would be, you know, a second disc, maybe a third disc of, you know, just everything pertaining the sessions to that album. So it would be, you know, maybe some vault cuts, maybe some alternate takes, maybe an alternate mix of something. Um, in the case of what's going on you have the original remaster of the album then there was the so-called Detroit mix uh, which was I think the original mix of the album and then remixed into the version that we're all familiar with um, and that was kind of you know beefed up with some b-sides a couple of single edits uh, I think there might have been one or two unreleased cuts. And there was the live in Washington, D.C. performance. That was all part of this deluxe edition for that. And the Let's, uh, Let's Get It On version uh, was, again, re uh, remaster of the original Let's Get It On album. And then vault tracks and alternate takes or alternate mixes of that album. Um, so the Super Deluxe Edition is something where, yeah, you get, you get all of that, but you get more of it. And I would say in the case of an artist like Prince, David Bowie, um, I mean, there've been tons of these things that have been released and it's become a thing over, I would say maybe the last five, uh, you know, five or six years now where it's super deluxe because it's not only getting just two discs sometimes you're getting three four five eight ten you know um discs you know bob dylan that's another one that comes to mind um with those and apparently it's successful enough you know you have the beatles that are on there what fifth super deluxe with the revolver album getting the super deluxe treatment coming soon um again it seems to be these things are starting to come out right and left now pink floyd or you name it you know um it's all happening so i don't think that model is going to go away anytime soon um for the prince estate to abandon it i don't think they'll abandon it I think they will continue and especially with the classic 80s era and let me clarify this for those out there that are just fans of the 90s just fans of the 2000s 
you're talking about an entire career. Well, not unfortunately, but you wouldn't have your 90s. You wouldn't have your 2000s if the 80s weren't his classic period. If he wouldn't have been successful. You know, if, if say, 1999 flopped, and it was close to doing that at one point, you know, until MTV came along. Or I would put it this way, until M MTV started playing black artists, then that's the thing that saved 1999 from just being a, a good cult record. You know, if Purple Rain had flopped, there's no 90s, you know. Not in the way that we would know it, you know, not in the way that we would look at Prince as like this superstar. You know, he probably still would have continued making music. It still would have been okay. He still would have been doing shows and concerts, but not as a super rock star on the Elvis, Beatles, Michael Jackson level. You know, it would be a few steps down if Purple Rain or 1999 was successful, you know, with that. So that's the bread and butter. Now, you got to look at it this way. Look at the classic 80s era as your MCU or your Star Wars, where these movies make a billion dollars. So look at those things, the classic 80s, whether it's 1999, Purple Rain, Sign of the Times, whatever. You have to look at it at that. That's the money maker. That's generating the money that will allow your favorite 90s to eventually get its super deluxe edition, to allow musicology to get special treatment. So just like a major blockbuster film makes billions of dollars, that's the thing that finances the small independent art films and things of that nature, or the more serious films. That's how they get financing with that. So you have to look at that as being the foundation to which paves the way for all of your favorite albums. But, you know, this whole separatism, it's cool to have your favorite, period. You know, but I think that's kind of hinged on whatever you were doing in high school at that moment. So for us, you know, we were fortunate enough to be in that age where things were happening in real time. So, but from my perspective, things unfolding in real time was like, wow, you know, great. You know, Diamonds and Pearls was cool. Symbol album left me a little flat, but the whole come gold experience, emancipation, that lineup of the NPG, that was just as exciting, you know. Um, while I think, you know, um, Rainbow Children is a great artistic statement and what a 40-something-year-old prince should have been doing at that time in his life and not doing the 80s stuff because we'd all grown up. You know, there were things before and after that left me a little, eh, okay. But then there's musicology. That was just as exciting. All the stuff that was coming out through the NPG Music Club, that was exciting. And it was just as exciting as anything in the 80s. So it was just, you know, for me, unfolding it in real time. Now, you know, to quote Muhammad Ali, if you're 50 
and you're still thinking like you're 20, then you've wasted a good 30 years of your life. You know, end of discussion. It's like, yeah, as much as I enjoyed the 80s, I don't want to go back. I mean, I'd just rather listen to the music. I've got the records if I want to reminisce. But, you know, I ain't going back, <laughs> you know. 2022, with all its trials and tribulations, you know, this is a pretty good time period to be in right now. So, that being said, um, doing an NPG Music Club style setup, that should be an inevitability. I hope that that's something that they would do. Uh, but I don't think that they would abandon the Super Deluxe model. And as to how many albums in, I think it will continue definitely for the classic 80s period. Um, as for anything afterwards, it's going to be cherry picking. There will be some things in the 90s, the 2000s that will get a super deluxe edition. And there will be some things to where it is going to be a compilation of the sessions for that era prime example would be you know come gold experience because they're so intertwined so it would be like a 93 to 94 era box set or compilation of things so i don't know that would be my guess but not all of our not everything's going to be a super deluxe but I don't think they'll abandon the model altogether. Okay, so for part two of the question, uh, which are some of the unreleased songs that you are amazed never made it to release during Prince's life? And furthermore, any songs that you are still amazed are not out now? For me, songs like Empty Room, The Grand Progression, and We Can Funk 86. Okay, so uh, definitely, yeah, we can funk the uh, the 86 version of that. Hell, I'm amazed that the original uh, version of that from 84 didn't make like an album. But here we are, you know, this is Prince. It's Purple Rain. It's taken off. It's a monster now. Um, that's influenced his decision to do something like a around the world in a day which evolved into parade which evolved into sign of the time so a song like that was easy to kind of sweep under the rug um now for the 86 version um i can i can see that you know being on sign of the times and i'm surprised it didn't make it onto the super deluxe edition on top of that um but that yeah that's definitely one that i would think i would like to see see the light of day at some point and you know maybe if they do a i don't know was that on dream factory did it make the cut for that so if they ever reissue dream factory yeah i would like to see that be a part of it or, and this is something that I think will be an inevitability, but a sign of the times, the complete sessions. It will definitely make the cut for that for sure. Uh, but that's one. 
Uh, speaking of Sign of the Times Super Deluxe Edition, my personal pick is Emotional Pump. It was like that was written for Joni Mitchell to sing, and she turned it down. That should have been, um, if not still a single, that should have been a deep album cut for Sign of the Times. That should have been a B-side, if nothing else. Um, I mean, granted, as much as I like La La La, He He He, Emotional Pump would have been a better choice for B-side. Um, Shockadelica was a better choice for B-side, for sure. So, couldn't take that out. But, yeah, I mean, if... You know, it could have been a B-side for Hot Thing. It could have been a B-side for Never Take the Place of Your Man. It, it should have seen the light of day. I wish I loved that track a lot. You know, just that bass and, you know, that... Yeah, so that one is one that um, I'm shocked that didn't make an official release at some point. Uh, let's see. I know there's so many... I don't know, I can think of, uh, shoot, um, yeah, Wonderful Last, that's another one that I'm shocked didn't make it, you know, if, if anything else, again, as a B-side or an album track, and I think that one, yeah, you could have fit, uh, Around the World in a Day, it could have, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe by sign of the times it could have still, could it have still worked? But then, you know, that's, that ties to the revolution. So I could see why that one sort of, but again, you know, as far as like maybe a B-side, of course, I think with the B-sides to Under the Cherry Moon or Parade, um, those B-sides still had links to the film. So... I guess it would have been illogical for that at some point. But yeah, though that's another one. Um, one last one. Uh, this was something that was released in his lifetime. Uh, it was through the NPG Music Club that you could get this track. Uh, it's no longer available. And this is one I know I've been definitely campaigning for since doing this show. And that one is one song. That's one I I like to see that get an official release. You know, that might have to be like a special compilation because it wasn't an album. It was just that single release track. And, you know, whether it does go on a compilation, whether it goes on a box set of some sort, um, or if they do bring back that format, you know, have that be a single standalone release. Um, but that's it. Um, like I said, there's so many, and I'm sure I'll probably hear one later. Or I'll go back and play something from whether it's 1999. Oh yeah. Rearrange that to me, that should have been a time track. That should have been on what time is it? Um, as much as I appreciate one day, I'm going to be somebody. And I do like that as a track. You could have easily swapped that out for rearrange and have the time do that but yeah that's that's sort of my picks um i don't know what do you guys think leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts on that one and then we'll move to part three 
of the question, and that is, have you ever heard the Dirty Mind era outtake, She's Just a Baby? If so, what are your thoughts on that one? I only ask, as it's really only grown on me recently. Uh, it's a little sugary like Baby from For You, but I still think it's great. Okay, so this was um, a track that I'm not, haven't been familiar with. Uh, I thought I might have heard it once. So in preparation for this question, um, I looked it up, did find it somewhere and listened to it. Um, I like it as a track. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's compared to the ballads that are on Dirty Mind, I think in some ways it is superior. Um, the guitar work is a lot stronger on that ballad. Um, but I can see on the one hand why it didn't make the final cut because what would you substitute for that um i mean got a broken heart again i could see probably the difference in length um that got a broken heart again is much better and it works with the flow of the album better um i think as as much as i do like the song i think that it is just a bit too slow and I think it would have wrecked the flow of Dirty Mind where Got a Broken Heart Again it's it's a ballad but it's it's fast enough that it doesn't take you out of the album listening experience and even back in the day you know when all we had was vinyl you know or cassettes but I always had the vinyl and just to be able to put that on the turntable, kick back, listen to the Dirty Mind album when you get to Broken, you know, Got a Broken Heart Again, um, and then you're ready to flip it over to the next side. Just the way that it ends, too. It's like, you know, back then it was just like Prince just deep. You know, that's all you could walk away from back then. You know, as much as Rick James was cool, as much as Parliament Funkadelic was cool, as Bootsy was cool. Cameo was cool. It was just, you know, Prince doing these odd little things on tracks, you know, like the weird door locking or chest closing or whatever that was, you know, cell door locking. I don't know what it would have what that was, but just those little sound effects, you know, that abruptly ends a song like that. You know, it's like that's all we used to say back to dang Prince deep. Prince is deep. And that's just deep. <laughs> um, a little sugary like Baby. You know, again, that was another one, you know, because I, like I said, I came in at 15 with uh, my Prince listening experience. And that was just because a neighbor of mine would borrow the records and bring them over to my house and dub tapes because I had a pretty good component set had to do let's see did it have dual cassette no it didn't have dual cassette or did it i can't remember anymore but um you could dub from the turntable and just you know dub cassettes that way and then he'd borrow the records dub them give them back to whoever and dirty mind was the first one that he brought over and then later he brought over for you and then the second album the prince album and 
you know, just listening to, you know, even just those first two albums, you know, because it was somebody, you know, maybe at the time we thought was a bit closer to our age at the time, you know, because, you know, he had pushed his age back like a couple of years. So if here we are, you know, 15 or whatever, and we're thinking like, you know, he's this 19, 20 year old cat, whatever. And just saying all this stuff on these records and it's like damn he's deep you know and baby it was like the lyrics you know just the lyrics we gravitated towards so it's not by any means a sugary ballad because of the subject matter involved and especially like i said being 15 at that time you know that was you know outside of maybe the odd classmate to where something like that had happened to you know, that was a bit of a shocker. And, you know, if you listen to, you know, somebody like Marvin Gaye or something, or Teddy Pendergrass, you know, these cats in comparison were, you know, decades ahead of us in age. You know, it's like, oh, that's grown-ups. You know, that's grown folks music right there. So to have somebody that's like 19, 20, because you didn't have Michael Jackson singing about stuff like that, you know, um, maybe not till a year later with Billie Jean, but you know, again, even that was a shocker, like, what, you know, what happened to him? You know, what, the kid's not his son. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's heavy subject matter, even for then. You know, now it seems to be the, you know, song of the minute, not even the song of the week anymore. You know, but that was the song of the moment. You know, you just heard that one. You know, you heard Baby once. You know, you heard Billie Jean once. And nobody else touched that in a song, you know, that wasn't, you know, 30 or 40 years old, you know, nobody in their 20s or younger touched that as a subject matter on a record, hardly. So, you know, um, but as far as, you know, it not making the cut to Dirty Mind, I think it would have made a nice B-side, probably if, you know, he was getting into that because he didn't get into that to me really until uh let's see to me the first one i heard was um uh gotta stop messing about and that was the b-side to let's work so you're talking controversy era to where like oh b-sides you know those were starting to come in in the prince world so if he was aware of that i think it probably would have made a great b-side but honestly i think it would have made um it would have wrecked the flow of the Dirty Mind album for that. So, Vault Curator, thank you for those questions. Um, look forward to many, many more and also more content consulting as well. <laughs> Thanks. So, the next Twitter question uh, is from Edgar Cruz. Uh, Edgar Cruz of the Prince Twitter thread. Thanks for sending that in. And his question is, what part of Prince's career do you feel is far too often overlooked, maybe even by yourself? For me, it is the 2000-2001 hit-and-run era. Those shows were brilliant, yet somehow in my mind, it is like those years never happened. Yep, and I agree with that. 2000-2001... Um, uh, if you look at that period, and that's just prior to the Rainbow Children, which was like late 2001, you know, there weren't 
any official albums. You know, it was kind of a space in between Raven to the Joy Fantastic and Rainbow Children. Uh, everything that was available was only available on the NPG Music Club. And I wasn't a member then. I didn't have that type of access to computer. Um, and I guess let alone whatever the subscription rate would have been for that or the capacity to download something to keep it, you know, and be able to play it on something later, you know, um, not until really musicology when I had that technology available in my own home, then I became a member at that point. So, um, but I do remember seeing online, uh, photos of that lineup of the band and seeing, um, Najee in the band and just these different faces, you know, where there was, you know, Rhonda Smith was still playing bass on there. And I think, I don't know if Maceo had become a full-fledged member or not, or if it was Eric Leeds. I think it might've been, might've been Maceo in that lineup as well. But um, no, 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 Najee. Najee was part of that lineup. And... I was like, this is a cool looking band. And like some of the photos, band photos that were taken, they were looking cool on there and like, okay, this, this looks interesting. And um, I think that tour did make it to St. Louis. I wasn't able to make that one. Alex B, I think, made it to that. And I remember, you know, he had sent me voicemail messages, you know, just like little snippets, like, you know, check this out, you know. <laughs> Which, you know, thank you for that, for sure. And uh, I remember like, man, the energy, just even just on that voicemail was just like, wow. You know, that was just amazing. And yeah, I was excited to hear some, you know, like I was ready for an album with this lineup, which never, never took place. And I think by the time you got to the Rainbow Children, that lineup, it, I don't think it changed much. Um, but yeah, I remember the appearances on Jay Leno. And while I was kind of lukewarm on the song, The Work, I mean, I kind of liked the little James Brown flavor of it, but it really didn't connect with me, except within the context of listening to the Rainbow Children as a whole. Uh, but the thing that really impressed me with that band was the next night on um, The Tonight Show when they performed The Ballad of Dorothy Parker. And they kind of worked in a little bit of Madhouse, kind of like in the uh, instrumental break. And I was, you know, that, I love that arrangement. I love that performance of that song. And again, I wish that would have... You know, not to say, you know, the, the musicology era band was throwing down too. You know, that was, I but I think that era overshadows that 2001 or 2000, 2001 due to the simple fact that there was not an album attached for them to work that to where you can see them in videos uh, to where they could have made more personal appearances where they could have really, really toured in support of an album as opposed to just doing a tour, hence the name, Hit and Run. They were just popping up here and there and doing their thing. But I think when you got to musicology, 
where there was so much promotion and so much tied into it with the Grammy performance, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, you know, along with that performance that accompanied that, you know, it overshadows it. Um, uh, but, you know, I would like to see some type of standalone CD release of uh, one of those performances. Uh, and I'm sure that lineup, I know because, you know, the Prince celebrations were in full swing then as well. So I would like to see, you know, either if they do a, I'd love to see a box set if they do that of a celebration for those years. It was that 2000, 2001? Yeah, I would love to see those. Uh, did, they, did they do one in 2002? Uh, but yeah, I would like to see a box set of that stuff, you know, or some kind of standalone live set to where they take, you know, whatever the best performances of a certain song from each night and make a live CD of that. Um, but other than that, yeah, if there was a, a really high level energy performance, uh, from any one of the cities that they stopped in, for sure, definitely, I would love to see a standalone. And for that to get some recognition, if there's even film, you know, video or whatever, you know, do a DVD release or, you know, bundle, you know, if there is a DVD or a Blu-ray you can pull from that, bundle it with a, uh, you know, if there is a Rainbow Children deluxe that you can make or a compilation of sessions for that era um include a blu-ray of that or just do a standalone blu-ray or a standalone cd yeah but definitely i would like to see that one that era see the light of day um that is probably i'm gonna go on a limb and say that is a very close second favorite lineup of the NPG. Of course, the one from 93 to 95, just for the sheer level of funk that they brought to that. Not to say this one wasn't funky. That's why I say it's a close second, a very close second. And it could tie, you know, because I haven't seen a complete or seen or heard a complete performance from this era. Uh, but I do know from what little I've seen, it generated enough excitement to keep me going as a Prince fan. Yes, somebody from the 80s, folks, you know, that, you know, that kept the momentum going. That kept me interested. That kept me on the bandwagon, you know, when it was like, oh, the Jehovah's Witness stuff is a bit much. I don't know. You know, and this is pre-Rainbow Children. And it was like, oh, you know. Are the recordings as exciting? You know, that was exciting stuff. But, you know, when he was putting together band lineups like that, then it was like, yeah, okay, well, he still cares about bringing us something interesting and still bringing us something funky. We don't know what he's going to do next, but I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon. So definitely that is something I would like to see get the light of day. All right, so we're going to wrap up with one final Twitter question. Uh, this question comes from Irresistible Rich. Uh, I'm not sure if this was intended to be a question for the show or just a general question, but I thought it was cool enough to, to shout out. So uh, Irresistible Rich writes, 
Purplicious Army, if you could have any release by the Prince Estate, what would you like to see released? I'd love to see the Triple Threat Tour on DVD with performances by Morris Day in The Time and Vanity. All right, so thanks for sending that one in, Mr. Rich. And that one, yeah, that's it. That's the one I would like to see. Um, um, you know, it's sad that we are now kind of in the final months of 2022. You know, we've had a 40th anniversary for what time is it? Uh, we've had a 40th anniversary for Vanity 6, and neither one of those albums have been reissued. Uh, especially the time with the whole little mix-up with the use of the name The Time and Moore's Day not being able to use it anymore, uh, which really wrecks the momentum to have what time is it? In fact, an album cover, ironically, has the face of The Time <laughs> on its cover the man that can't use the name, but is the lead singer and leader of the band. And I'm hoping that with the family members and primary wave officially in charge of the estate at this point, they've been very quiet. Um, I'm hoping they're making some pretty good plans. And I hope those plans include settling that situation because the time, <coughs> excuse me, as well as Vanity Six are very important parts to Prince's legacy. Um, those are both groups that fans, no matter what era you're a fan of, they're still fans of the time. They are still fans of Vanity Six and enjoy those records and those old videos and performances. Uh, still go check out Moore's Day in the Time when he does come to your town. Um, yeah, so it's sad that those type of legalities are keeping those things from seeing the light of day because we did have the year before the reissue of the first time album. So it would have been logical that what time is it would have been the next album to get a vinyl remaster. And unfortunately, within that span of a year, you know, Comerica drops the ball and says, hey, we're doing all these filings for copyright and trademark. And no, you can't use the name and no, you cannot trademark Morris Day and the Time or whatever. And I think it's sad. So hopefully it will get worked out. Um, but yes, that is definitely something I would like to see, like a full DVD of all of the acts. Uh, we do have Prince's performance uh, live in, I think, is it Houston on DVD that came with the 1999 Super Deluxe Edition. But, you know, I would like to see, yeah, a box set of, or maybe not a box set, but... Um, just the Blu-ray that has all those performances. A CD that has all the, you know, first CD is Vanity Six, second CD is The Time, third CD is Prince. Also, uh, again, the 
you know, that 2000, 2001 era uh, that I just talked about. I would definitely like to see that get some type of a release. Again, whether it's Blu-ray or a standalone live CD. Uh, Super Deluxe Editions. Uh, you know, I know there's been this big debate. You know, I want Parade. I want Diamonds and Pearls. I want Parade. I want Diamonds and Pearls. I want Parade. I want Diamonds and Pearls. You know, um, again, you know, if they announced either one, you know, they would get my Purple Croutons of course, no doubt. Um, I'm slightly more excited about having a parade super deluxe. Um, but there to me are a lot of interesting vault tracks, uh, to make a diamonds and pearls, uh, exciting, you know, not to mention, um, you once again, have access to all the get off remixes, which I really enjoyed. Um, I didn't mind it as an album so much, uh, but really kind of just being weary of the debate going back and forth between the two. Like I said, again, if they announced either one tomorrow, then they would have my purple ducats, you know, on the Amazon pre-order. Um, but actually, I would be a little bit more excited for an around the world in a day super deluxe because um, I'm rereading um, the Purple Rain era sessions uh, by Dwayne Tudhall and you know I haven't gotten back to that part yet but I remember just like how much of in that particular time frame how much of the family that album was in the can a lot of uh jill jones stuff was being developed at that time um you know your b-sides to a lot of the around the world the day tracks uh were in the can uh some of this stuff that was actually a part of the purple rain deluxe um to me were mistakenly put on that when it should be on and around the world in a day so I think where you know like a parade would be more eclectic um, where I think the vault tracks for diamonds and pearls would be very very exciting to me an around the world in a day would trump that because you know basically you know it's it, like I said, you got the family material that was on there. I don't, I don't know how much of the full album is, but at least enough of it. I think Screams of Passion. So you would have his performance of it. Um, Mutiny, you would have that as a part of it. Um, She's Always in My Hair, the B-side. You know, all of the B-sides would work. Extended cut for America. That would be a part of it. Um yeah, there's so many, so, so many, you know, tracks that would um, make, to me, that would make that more exciting. Because, I mean, around the world in a day, um, while it's not even like in my top five of favorite Prince albums, um, it was nice to listen to. It was a good left field from Purple Rain. 
Um, but to me, the B-sides attached to it made that whole project more interesting to me. So with those things, um, again, what was going on around that time uh, prior, I guess maybe you can put in some of the, I guess, Romance 1600 stuff, Shilly E stuff. I know definitely stuff from the first album for sure um, that would make the cut for that. Um, so yeah, anything that the minute songs being considered for Purple Rain or inclusion in the film or any B-sides attached to it, whatever date in which those sessions stop and anything that was intended for Around the World Today, anything intended for the family, anything intended for Sheila E., anything intended for Apollonia 6, even anything maybe attached to the time, who knows, but uh, Maserati, there's some stuff in there um, that definitely would make the cut, I think. You know, that would definitely elevate that to being, for me, more uh, an anticipated release than a parade or Diamonds and Pearls. And again, like I said, if they drop the other one tomorrow, um, you got my purple ducats. And again, leaning a little bit more towards parade. Um, but like I said, I think if neither neither one of those would be a factor around the world today would be my most anticipated uh, release. So that is going to end this episode of Amari Purple Talk. Uh, remember to like, subscribe, download, share the content, um, tell all your friends check this show out um go on patreon support that as well uh you get um the higher the tier um the better the free stuff that you get um but even if you do at the smaller levels you get shout outs on the episodes um hopefully there'll be more bonus content that's available there's a couple of things on there now um even free downloads to some of my own personal music. Uh, you could do that as well. Um, but yeah, definitely support it. And plus, any support definitely helps pave the way for me to do more content like this and other things that I've been thinking about as well in regards to not only Amari Purple Talk, but Amari Communications in general. So definitely, again, thank you for tuning in. Um glad to be back with a different platform uh, that's Transistor FM. Um, they help get me to the Spotify's and the Apple and the Amazon and the Google and everywhere. So you can find this program on your favorite podcast platform once again. So until next episode. Create your day and create your life. Peace. Mm -hmm.